You're listening to a message preached at Front Range Baptist Church by Pastor Dean Miller. It is our prayer that this message will be a help and an encouragement to you in your spiritual walk. Now, here's Pastor Miller. Uh, look in our Bibles tonight. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6, but just let me just put you on warning. You're gonna, we're going to run through the Bible tonight, okay, in a lot of... We're going to look at a lot of passages of Scripture in a very short amount of time. So make sure that you are ready. Get your fingers nimbled up. And to those of you that are from an old school, you'll remember this. Let your fingers do the walking uh, and the word of God will do the talking. Okay, so we're going to run through some scriptures, but we're in Deuteronomy chapter six tonight. And we're talking about the mission of the home. And we're, we're going to begin to get into some of the aspects of uh, how the home contributes the home, the biblical home, the nuclear home that God created, um, that God instituted. The first institution on the planet was the home. God made them male. God made them female. God said, I want to bring you together in holy matrimony. Uh, God performed the first wedding in Eden and uh, married Adam and Eve. And then he said, be fruitful, multiply and uh, bring forth children. And uh, they did. And uh, and that's been God's plan ever since. Jesus restated that in Matthew 19. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother. He shall cleave unto his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. In that one statement from Genesis chapter three to Matthew chapter 19, you have three verbs and you have the three purposes of marriage. Number one, you have shall a man leave. That is the priority of marriage. Marriage is the number one human priority. And a man leaves his father and his mother to cleave to his wife. That is the greatest priority. And listen, let me tell you this. Uh, our children need to be raised to, be, to leave. We are not raising our kids to keep them for us. And that's where we got into a little bit last week about some parents have a bad understanding of that. And all we're doing is we're trying to keep our kids in this behavioral modification mode so that they behave under our watch. And that's not what God has called us to do. God has called us as parents for heart transformation. We're raising our kids to send them out. We're raising somebody else's husband, we're raising somebody else's wife. We're raising somebody's parent. And we're raising our children. Parents are working themselves out of a job. And that's kind of against our, our nature in some way because God gave us, and, and God gave us in our own uh, uh, nature, God gave us a need to be needed. That's why when you had a baby, you took that baby, the first look, you held that baby, you had never met that baby before, never laid eyes on that baby, and you immediately loved that baby with this maternal and paternal love. And the, one of the reasons why you love that baby was because that baby fulfilled a deep need in you and it was a need to be needed. This was a helpless little baby that now I'm going to pour my life into. I'm going to take care of this baby. Now, the baby had a need, too. The baby had a need. Um, and it, was a, a, it loves you because you had everything it needed. And so it loved you for that purpose. And I want to tell you what happens to a lot of, a lot of moms. <laughs> we have our kids, and then as they get older, we just kind of slowly let the umbilical cord out. And we never cut the cord. And we never, we never raise our kids to leave and to go forward. But that's God's plan. Leave and then cleave. That's the permanence of marriage. God's plan for marriage was to be permanent. 
the priority of the human relationship, the priority relationship in the human world is the relationship of a husband and wife. Now, ultimately, our relationship with God is first and foremost. But I'm talking about human to human. It is a husband and wife relationship. That is the priority relationship. And then we are to cleave. That's the permanence of that. And I want to tell you, the, the proliferation of divorce in our culture has led to all that we're seeing today in the gender identity crisis, the sexual revolutions, the immorality, the violence. You can trace it all back, first of all, to the sin in mankind's heart. But I want to tell you, uh, you can lay the failure of society on the doorstep of the home. The home is God's building block for society. Everybody wants to blame the government. We want to blame education. We want to blame the church. Uh, and I've been part of churches that tried to usurp the authority of the home, bypass the husband's authority. And I want to tell you right now, God said, I want you to cleave. I want you to cleave the permanence, the permanence of that relationship. One man, one woman, one lifetime. Now, God did give us some letters of divorcement, and we, we, we're not going to get into all of that. There are some things that God did because of hardness of men's hearts and the wickedness and depravity of man. But God's ultimate goal and plan for marriage is permanence. And I want to tell you that the difference between marriages that are end in divorce and marriages that stay married, the differences between them is not in their problems. Because basically, they all have the same problems. They don't have a difference in problems. They have a difference in commitment. And when parents and husbands and wives are committed to each other, they will see it through the problem they will stay married and they will cleave to each other and not let man put asunder what God put together. And they'll stay together. And then that last verb, uh, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, cleave to his wife, priority and permanence, and they twain shall be one flesh. That is the purpose of marriage, is to make two one and uh, them to become fruitful and multiply. God's purpose is to take a man and a wife and to bring them together and make one out of two. That's why men and women are so different. God made us different so he could make us one. <laughs> and so uh, God wants us to come together in an intimacy. And he wants us to come together in a spiritual intimacy, a mental and emotional intimacy and a physical intimacy. That's why it's so beautiful that when God talks about the sexual relationship in the Old Testament, he often refers to it and they knew one another. They knew one another. There's an intimacy involved in the marriage and it produces more love. That's the problem with homosexuality today is they talk about it's all about love, but it's self-love. It's self-gratification. And even if they have love and, and that type of feeling of affection towards a partner, there's no production in the love. And God's love always reproduces love. Homosexuality cannot reproduce. It has to recruit. And that's why they're in the schools. That's why they're after our children. That's why they're after this generation. That's why, that's why we're seeing this huge push and propaganda for uh, gender confusion and all of the blending and all of the things that are going on. Um, it is a world without the construct of the home that God gave us. And it comes back to the home. And one of the things that I've tried as a pastor for years and years, and I've tried to do this here at Front Range, is to be pro-family. And to let families have time together and use the word of God to grow their families together. Uh, the most important thing that happens in your life is not what happens here. It's what happens at home. 
And it's what happens in the lives of our children. We come here to be encouraged. We come here to be strengthened. We come here to be, to be edified. We come here to be rebu- rebuked and reproved so that we can go back home and we can live that out into day-to-day concourse to raise our children. In Malachi chapter 2, one of the reasons why God said, I hate divorce. I hate divorce. Why? Because of what it does to the godly seed. What it does to the kids. And it destroys generations, broken lives through that, and broken lives produce broken homes, and broken homes produce broken lives, and the vicious cycle. We need the Lord, don't we? And look at the world that we're in today. We need the Lord, and we, listen, I'm telling you, the church of Jesus Christ today needs to be very proactive about building and strengthening the home, and one of the things that I'm looking forward to in the future, and we, you know, like I said, we've been here for a couple years, and we've, we've been, I've got vision for the future, and ministries that will help men and ministries that will help ladies and ministries that will help the home. But listen, nothing is more important than what actually goes on in the home. And as a church, we want to aid that. We want to help that. But ultimately, moms and dads, boys and girls and kids of all ages have to live it out at home. And uh, we're seeing massive problems in our society today simply because we have the wrong outlook on the home. And the home has been under attack. One of the reasons why, one of the reasons why we're, uh, we're in the mess that we're in today is because we've gotten away from God's plan for the home. And I want to tell you, uh, men, uh, one of my desires and one of my goals down the road, and we am thankful for what we have here at Front Range. In so many cases, we've got good, masculine, godly men here. I've had people come and tell me before, man, there's just men in that church. And I love that. I love that. But one of the things that's missing today is, is true biblical masculinity. And we've got too many women that are running the homes. And that's not popular. It's not a popular opinion. But they're trying to lead the way in every way, spiritually and all of that. And that's not a downgrade to women. That's not. But it is a man's responsibility. God has made the man to be the number one spiritual provider in the home. And God has made it that way. And I'm telling you, our world today is lacking in masculinity. And there has been an attack on men for years that has finally worn into the psyche of of men today. And now we see an effeminate, emaciated manhood in our country today. And what is the result of that? The result of that is children without direction and evil men taking advantage. I want to tell you, I'm telling you, weak men create hard times. But thankfully, hard times will create strong men. And strong men create good times. And uh, we need some men. I'm telling you, man, we need men to lead. (laughs) There is a lack of manhood in the world today. And you know what happens a lot of times when a man tries to be a man? He's called mean. Charles Haddon Spurgeon had a quote. He said, "When, when men lead boldly, Weak people call him mean-spirited. And uh, there, is, there are mean men in the world. There are wicked men in the world. But I want to tell you, if you men need to be men today and they need to lead. And, um, and we're going we're gonna to work on all of that. But if our homes are going to be what they're going to be, what they need to be, what God wants to be, it's going to take a husband and wife working in tandem in the roles that God has given us to, to raise up children 
and to have a generation that knows the Lord. We talked about this last week just a little bit uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that, you might, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, reverence the Lord, and to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life. Now watch this. And thy days may be prolonged. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that it may be that, that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine, where? In thy heart. And, thou, and, thou, um, and these words which I command thee shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently to thy til- children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Notice the, notice the issue that God calls here. He calls to keeping his commandments, and he equates that with wellness and length of days. And then where does God put the primary responsibility? On the home. Teach this in your house. Get it in your heart and then get it in your home. If it's in your heart and in your home, it'll be in the land. And so this is the primary responsibility of the family is to find a way to to, to have heart transformation in the lives of our kids. And there's a couple ways that we can do that. We can do that through, first of all, loving God yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. You need to be loving the Lord. We, we, need, we need an old-fashioned revival in just loving God with reverential love. God is holy, He's just, He's righteous, and we need a people who love Him with all their heart. Not just people who keep a list of rules and then call themselves righteous, but a people who live with a constraining love. And follow God. I heard about a story of a woman who was married to a man who was a tyrant. Um, and he was, a, he was a vicious man. And after they got married, he just put her to work. And every day he would get up and he would leave her a list of chores to do. list of things to do. This is the way I want my shirts pressed. This is the way I want the bed made. This is the way I want the food cooked. This is the way I want the house swept. And he was a tyrant. Ruled with a heavy hand. And she had these lists everywhere. And this was, a, this was a woman who was worked to the bone. She was weary. She was tired. The joy went out of her face, the color out of her cheeks, the sparkle out of her eye. And uh, the spring out of her step, there was a woman in bondage. One day her husband died. She outwardly mourned and inwardly rejoiced. <laughs> and she vowed, I will never marry again. And the days went on. And uh, there was a man who came into her life, and he loved her, and he pursued her. Eventually, he won her heart. And this man was so benevolent and kind and loving to this woman. He loved her dearly, treated her like a queen. <laughs> One day, she was running around the house, pressing his shirts and making the beds and cooking the meal and getting all the errands done. <laughs> and she was cleaning the house, and she moved a dresser, And something fell, and she picked it up, and her heart just sunk. It was one of her old lists from her first husband. And her heart sunk, and she looked at that list, 
And she flopped on the bed and she laughed hysterically and she said, oh, for a light day of work like this again. I'm doing more now than I did then, but I love it because my husband loves me and I love him. She was doing more out of love. And you know what? You know what the Bible said of the church of Ephesus? I, I see your work. I see your labor. I see your standards. I see how you hate evildoers. I see how you can't bear with them that commit evil. I see how you call out the false prophets. I see how you stand in judgment of how everybody preaches and what they do. I see that. But I've got something against you. You're living all the rules. You're living outwardly righteous. You're doing all these things. But you don't love me. You've lost your first love. You haven't told anybody about me in years. When, I, when Paul wrote to you 50 years ago, you were a church that was risen. Now that John's writing to you, you're a church that's fallen. You're doing all the outward things. You're a church that's busy. You're a church that's, 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 that's separated. You're a church that has all the markings of a New Testament church, except for one thing. You've lost your love. You know what Paul said? The love of Christ constraineth me. The love of Christ constraineth me. And that's, that's what we've got, to, we've got to fill our heart with the love of God. Listen, Dad, Mom, you better get in love with the Lord. We need to love the Lord with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength. We need to love the Lord and we need to grow in His Word. He said in verse number 5, He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Then he said, in these words which I commanded this day, they shall be in thine heart. Grow in the word of God. Hey, ask yourself this question. Are you growing in the word? Personally, between you and the Lord, are you growing in the, in the word? So, number two, I want to say this. Spend time with your children and teach them God's word. Spend time with your children. We're so busy today and all these gadgets and devices and we're, and, you know, we're going to different places in the house and we're not spending time together. Um, you know, if, listen, if, you, if you're living in a home where you, you have a single home, a single income, and, and, um, and you're, able to, uh, you're able to spend some time together as a family, you're a rare breed. Especially in northern Colorado, people are, people are working uh, dual income homes, and we're running at the pace of life. And that's one of the reasons why as a church we've done as many things as we can to kind of keep our calendars clear so that we're not trying to just keep everybody busy. But we're trying to get everybody to spend time and to do the first things, get home and build that home, fam that family life and build those relationships and spend time together. Not everybody, not everybody is, has the convenience of time. Many of us are working. Um, I work, my wife works. We've got, we've got uh, kids, you know, thankfully we've got kids married now, but we're, uh, uh, we had to save up for all of that. And we've got another one yet to go to college and another wedding. And listen, it's, th this is Northern Colorado. I read the other day that you, you need $110,000 income to afford a house in, in Fort Collins. Now, I don't know about all that, I, I, but, but I will tell you this, uh, there are pressures in life. And as a church, we need to strengthen the home. There's too many pressures on life. And look at the pressures of life, what they do to the average home in our world today. The world has changed in 50 years. The pressures and the pace of life has put such a strain on the home. Look at what's happened in marriages since 1950 to today. Over an 1,100% increase in divorce. And so churches have to be wise and Christians have to be wise and get back to what God has called us to do of growing in the Word and spending time with your children and teaching them the Word of God in the daily concourse of life, in the going to bed, in the getting up, in the going out in life, using life 
just using life to teach the principles of God's word to our children. Turn every context into a teaching context. Verse number seven, he said, and thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou uh, sittest in your house, when you walk by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. He said, listen, you're going to turn every context of your life into a time to teach them the word of God. That doesn't mean that you have to turn everything into a chapel, in every, in every situation into a revival. But it could be as simple as having little kids and driving down the road and saying, look at that beautiful sunset. Look how God made that. Isn't that beautiful how God is so good to us? And just turning things into a, getting their thoughts on the Lord. Getting their thoughts on the Lord. And um, you can turn everything into a teaching context. Fill your life and your home with God's word. You know, when I was a teenage boy, my mom put the verse in Proverbs, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. She put that right up on my wall. In my, uh, and I never did consider that God was beholding the good. I always thought of him just beholding the evil. You know, I, was, I saw God's eyes like, you know, he had his angry eyes. You know, that's, that's that verse. That's what that verse kind of meant to me was God had his angry eyes on. But he does behold the good, too. You know, uh, but, but uh, I thank God that I have parents who taught us the word of God and filled our life and our home with the word of God. And then you have to fully commit to God's way. You know, the number one thing that we need is a submissive spirit to the Lord. And we're going to talk about that for just a minute. So let's talk about, for just a minute, the home and physical health. The the home and physical health. God has given us some plans here that uh, lead us to physical health. He said in verse number number two that it would be well with thee and that all the days of thy life and thy days may be prolonged. Look over at chapter 7 of Deuteronomy. Look at chapter 7. He restates the covenant. He talks about destroying all the Canaanites and, uh, and people have a hard time with that. I mean, don't marry their daughters. I want you to put these people to death. And these were, these were demonic cultures that were given over to human sacrifice and, and vile things. And they were not societies without warning. God had warned them. God had warned them over and over and over again. Um, uh, and so don't, don't take that as, uh, um, as God was just some uh, bully. Uh, that's not at all what it's teaching. But look down, in verse number, look down in verse number 11. Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I command thee this day to do them. Now this is all covenant. This is a covenant that God made based on his Old Testament law. Now could the Old Testament, could they keep that Old Testament law? Yes or no? No. But God had made a covenant. Okay, here's my law. Here's my holiness. If you can live this, if you can live this, then I'm going to show you the things that I'm going to do. Now, thankfully, God brought us the law that the law might bring us to Christ. Okay, so don't 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 pass over. Don't think that God intended for them to live up to these things because he knew in the human heart they couldn't. But God nonetheless said in this covenant, if you could live up to this righteousness, this is what would be the result. Here it is. Look at verse number look at verse number 12. He said, if you do them, verse number 12, wherefore it shall come to pass, if ye hearken to these judgments and keep them and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep thee unto the covenant and the mercy which he swore unto thy fathers. And he will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of thy womb and the fruit of thy land, thy corn, thy wine, thine oil, the increase of thy kind, the flocks of thy sheep and the land where he swore unto thy fathers to give thee. Thou shalt be blessed above all people. There shall not be male nor female barren among you or among your cattle. And the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which thou knowest upon thee, but will lay them upon all them that hate thee. 
Now, this is a little glimpse, I believe, of what's going to happen in the millennial age when we all, when Israel's in the land and Christ is on the throne and he's ruling with the rod of righteousness and the law is now written on the fleshy tables of our heart and God's given us a new heart, a new spirit, and the lion lays down with the lamb in that new millennial age. I think we're going to see these kind of things. It's going to be a beautiful day. No sickness. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? That's going to come. But that was part of God's covenant of the people. If you can do this, this is what will happen. And, and there's some principles here. Now, understand this, that good health is something that we take for granted until we start to lose it. Then when our health takes a turn, we start examining our habits and our diets and we start thinking about, man, we need to eat better. Uh, God has designed our bodies magnificently. The psalmist said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Our bodies are resilient. Our bodies can endure a lot of abuse. Aren't you glad about that? But... Our bodies are also very fragile. There's but a step between me and death. They do have breaking points. And they are not built to handle excesses. We can poison ourselves with supposed uh, nutrients and uh, nutritional things like we're seeing today with additives and all sorts of things in our, in our diets today are with, with, with all the processed foods and all this. Our bodies will handle it for a while. But uh, when it comes to excesses, there is a breaking point. And I know there's a million opinions on what a healthy diet is, and we're not going to even go there, okay? There's a million opinions on that. But God has provided us with an owner's manual for our bodies. And he tells us how our bodies operate. He tells us what our bodies exist for. It's not, a, the Bible is not a medical text, but the Bible has all the principles for a healthy body, a healthy mind, and a healthy spirit. All the principles for health are in this book, every one of them. I mean, our first president, have you ever been to a barber and you see that barber pole outside? Do you know why the barber pole is striped red and white? Well, it's because it's where they used to go for bloodletting. The barber could bleed you, and that was a, supposed to be a healthy thing. In our country, 240 years ago, that was supposed to be a healthy thing. Our first president, George Washington, was bled to death with a Bible six inches from his head. If they would have just opened it up to Leviticus 11, and they would have read, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And now politicians have been bleeding us to death ever since. But I'm just saying... The Bible had the answer right there six inches from his head. Now, the Bible's not a medical text, but it has the principles for life and health. It's amazing that Moses wrote in his day in the Levitical law, he wrote things that have stunned medical researchers with its accuracy and its effectiveness for healthy living. In fact, it took a long time for science to finally catch up to the Bible. Somebody says, you know, when a scientist comes out with something that, you know, agrees with the Bible, they're like, can you believe this? Man, the scientists found these things that agree with the Bible. That's awesome. The Bible's true. Well, listen, when they make these, when they make these discoveries, it doesn't give me any more confidence in the Bible. It just gives you more confidence in the scientist. <laughs> the, the Bible's always been true. Science will catch up. Give them some time. They'll catch up with it. Moses wrote these things, and he wrote things about Health education, he wrote things about water contamination, food contamination. He wrote about sewage disposal. He wrote about germs and, and uh, infectious diseases. We were down in Orlando this last week, or this 
a couple weeks ago and we were in Magic Kingdom down there with the teenagers, our seniors, and we were walking through Magic Kingdom and there's a place over there called Liberty Square. And uh, if you've ever been to Liberty Square, it's got the Hall of Presidents there and it's all old time Americana in, in the early days of America. And I was reading, I'm a facts guy. I didn't have little kids wanting to run around. I was just kind of watching people and I'm, I'm a facts guy. So I'm reading these facts about Disney World <laughs> and, and, uh, and I come to this thing about Liberty Square and it's right there. There is a dark brown path that kind of just meanders. The pavement is dark brown and it just kind of meanders through Liberty Square. And the interesting thing about Liberty Square, it's the only land in the park that doesn't have a public bathroom. And the reason it doesn't have a public bathroom in Liberty Square is because they wanted to design it true to its times. There, weren't, there wasn't indoor plumbing in the 1700s. And that brown meandering square that they put, that, or the pathway that they put through Liberty Square is representation of how human waste flowed through the streets in the early colonial towns. Ooh, did not want to walk there anymore. And uh, it was just, uh, but Moses, if they had read the Bible, they would have known that God designed a dung gate and said, carry all of your waste out. Go put it out there and burn it, bury it, get it out. So much disease from that. Moses wrote about germs. I mean, in this country, they were wondering why all of these, there were so many babies that were dying. And mothers that were dying in childbirth. And what they were finding was that the same doctors who were going in to examine these dead corpses were coming back out to examine the new babies and the moms. And they were bringing disease from dead corpses and they were bringing them in. And, and they realized, oh, we need to glove up. We need to wash. We need to scrub before we, before we touch other things. We need to wash our hands. And, and, uh, and surprisingly, they didn't know that. But the Bible, if they had read the Bible, it had the answer. Moses wrote about all that. We only need to look into God's word for God's way and learn his principles for healthy living. And remember, it comes from the home. The home is the first place we learn about how to take care of our bodies. Remember, we are three parts. We're a body, we're a soul, we're a spirit. God made us in his likeness, three in one. And we need to remember that our body is the only part of us that is not yet redeemed. Our body is still under the curse of sin and under the fall of man. And that no matter how healthy you live, I don't care how healthy you live, you're going to die at some point unless Jesus comes again. <laughs> we are all going to die. That doesn't mean that we ought to just say, well, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die and do what we want. No, we still, have a, we still have a responsibility, the Bible says, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, to glorify God in our bodies. So we can still take these bodies and glorify God in them by living healthy. And so our soul and our spirit, their health is first. And then we should allow the health of our soul and our spirit to then give way and lead us into a healthy lifestyle physically. The Bible says in the, in the, in the book of 3 John, way back, and uh, go back there and look at this real quick. I want you to mark this in your Bible. I told you you're going to run through some verses really quick. First, look at 3 John and look at verse 1. John is writing to this uh, elder Gaius, and he said, I love you in the truth. And in verse 2, he said, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper. Now look at this verse. Look at it carefully. He said, I wish 
above all things, that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. You're saying, Gaius, I, I, would only, I could only wish that your body would be as healthy as your soul. Now, let's reverse this for a minute. Let's say for just a minute that God could allow us all tonight to physically appear in a body that reflected the health of our soul. Our spiritual well-being was all of a sudden demonstrated physically. I wonder how athletic we would be. There are probably some little widows who have very weak and bent over bodies that if God would do that, all of a sudden they would be pumping iron and jumping over because they would have a healthy body because of their spiritual health. And there would be some who perhaps have great physical strength, but all of a sudden we would be weak, our ribs would be poking out, we'd have sunken in eyes, we'd be emaciated and, 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 and crippled because our, our health, our spiritual health is so lacking. And John wrote here, he said, I just could wish that your body would be as healthy as your soul. And by the way, that's the priority. The priority is spiritual well-being, then physical well-being. But we need to have, uh, we need to have our bodies uh, physically healthy. God gave the responsibility to the home to instruct the principles of health and then enforce them in our homes daily. We read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 3 for just a minute. Remember, these are principles. And Proverbs is a book of principles. Go to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. My son. This is a dad talking to his child. My son, forget not my law. But let thine heart keep my commandments. Notice how many times God wants our heart. God wants our heart. He doesn't just want us to externally live out the law. He wants us to internalize the commandments of God and follow him in a life that will come from the inside out. He wants the heart. Notice what will happen when a person lives in God's commandments and follows God with their heart. Look at verse 2. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the tables of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil, and it shall be what? Health to thy navel, which is body, and morrow or strength to thy bones. There is a principle in the word of God that if we follow God's plan and we follow God's will, it will lead to a physically healthy lifestyle. Look, look over at, look over at uh, chapter 4. Look at verse 1. Hear ye children. This is another father instructing his child. Hear ye children the instruction of a father and attend to no understanding. Boy, I wish fathers need to instruct our children. We need to have our children's attention. You know one of the things, we've, we've made an excuse. Well, it's ADD. It's ADHD. It's attention deficit. Can I tell you something? The Bible is very clear that when your children are young, you need to learn to get their attention. I'm so grateful that when my children were little babies, I would come home and my wife would have them in her arms and she would be looking them in the eye, talking to them. She learned to talk to them and 
let them goo and gaw and talk to her and have conversations. And we looked at our kids. And, and I remember when my, they were little, my wife getting down. And when Deanna was two years old, I remember my wife getting down. I said, Deanna, now look at me. Look at me. Look at mommy. Look at mommy. Hey, hey, look at mommy. The little two-year-olds are always, you know, mm-hmm. no, no, look at mommy. Look at mommy. Look at mommy. Look at mommy. She'd have her cheeks right here. Look at mommy. Look at mommy. Now look at me. Look at mommy. I want you to go to your room. Look at mommy. I want you to go to your room. Look at mommy. I want you to go to your room. And I want you to pick up your toys. Put them in the box. Okay? What did mommy say? Go in my room, put my toys in the box. Okay. Now go do it. Now, she didn't yell at her. She didn't demand her. She got down, got in her eyes, got her attention, gave her instruction, clear instruction, made sure that she repeated that she understood it, that she heard, she listened, she understood. Now go do that. Now listen. When that wasn't done, then discipline took place because you knew what to do. See, we've not had a generation of parents who've looked God in their kids and said, look at dad, look at dad, listen to me, look at me, listen to me. I want you to go help your mom with the dishes. You take all the little forks and all the little knives and you go take them to mommy so she can put them in the soapy water. You understand? Yes, sir. What did daddy say? Take all the forks and the knives and put them in the sink. Okay, now go do it. And then when they do it, oh, you did such a great job. You're such a good helper. But it's getting attention. You can't teach your kids if they don't listen. So in America, we just say, ah, they don't listen. So let's just give them a pill. And you know why we give them a pill? Most of the time we give them a pill so we can chill. Because you're driving me crazy. Here, take this. <laughs> now, that's not popular. It's not popular. Now, I understand that there are some conditions that need to be medicated. I get that. I'm not against that. I'm not against medicine. I'm not against the advances of science and all. I'm not against that. But I'm just telling you that God's way is first. Get their attention. Hearken to my words. I mean, how many times you read it in the book of Proverbs? My son, attend. My son, attend. Incline thine ear unto me. My son, my son, look. My son, listen. My son, hear. Hearken. My son, hearken. My son, attend. My son, incline. It's a father giving instruction to an attentive child and demanding attention. Notice what he says. Hear the instruction of a father and attend to no understanding, for I give you good doctrine, forsaking not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth, forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee, love her, and she shall keep thee. Verse number 10, Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. Look over at verse number 20. My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. God's word to the parent is get your children's attention and give them instruction that leads to a healthy life. Now, we understand that righteous people get sick. We understand that righteous and godly people get sick and die. We understand that, right? Job got sick. We understand that righteous people get physically ill. And so 
our bodies are part of this fallen and cursed world and we're going to have that. But I want to tell you that while we live and while we have life and while we have health, we need to live the principles of the word of God so that we can have long life. And let me give you just really quick. I'm going to give you one principle and then we'll pick these up next Wednesday night. We're in no hurry, right? Here's the first principle. And I've already mentioned it many times, but listen, obedience to the way obedience is the way to healthy living. Man, we have a we have a society today that is rebellious. They're against their parents, they're against their authorities, and it leads to an unhealthy and decimating lifestyle. We see it in Deuteronomy 6, we see it in Deuteronomy 7, we see it all through the book of Exodus. God told them over and over again in the book of Exodus, if you keep my law, it will keep the sickness of the Egyptians from you. One of the reasons why God told the people of Israel not to marry the heathen nations is because those nations were full of venereal diseases. He talks about that in the book of Exodus. He talks about it in Leviticus. He talks about it in Deuteronomy. The Egyptians have venereal diseases because they do not keep themselves sexually pure. The way to avoid sexual disease is to practice the way God designed sex to be practiced in the bonds of marriage. Safe sex is married sex. Somebody said, well, is God just trying to keep us from sex? No, he's not. When God said, thou should not com-, when God said don't commit adultery, when God said flee fornication, when God said uh, the marriage bed is wholesome and it's undefiled, but adulterers and whoremongers, God will judge. God was not keeping sex from us. He was keeping sex for us. The world has lost its mind with this pursuit of perversion. Hollywood and pornography have perverted what God gave us to be a blessing, to be intimate, to be the expression physically of love. The world has so misused that. And then the consequence of it, disease. In America, you know, we're, we think we're so smart with our modern medicine. Well, we just come up with all these different ways to prevent these diseases. Well, there's a simple way. Keep yourself until you get married. And then in marriage, that's God's gift. And it's wonderful to do it God's way. Can, can I get just an amen right there for just a minute? When God said that I will keep the, the sicknesses of the Egyptians off of you, the Egyptians were the, was the world empirical system at that time. That was the world system, and they were filled with diseases of every kind. Because of their godless lifestyle. It's so funny to me when you go back and you read what the Egyptians thought was health. (laughs) They used, the Egyptians believed that animal dung, especially dog, donkey, and gazelle, promoted healing. Can you imagine having a wound and somebody wants to rub dog dung on the wound? But the Egyptians thought that was a way of healing. Now how in the world did Moses know to prevent infectious diseases? Through germs and, and through, through and the infection that comes through dung specifically? How did he know that? He didn't learn that in the school of the Egyptians where he went. He learned that from God. And to obey God's way led to a healthy lifestyle. The Egyptians believed, the Egyptians believed that moldy bread and lizard blood were good topical treatments for wounds. Now they might have been onto something with the moldy bread. Louis Pasteur would have, would have probably felt like there was some, some kind of probiotic in that or antibiotic or something in there. I don't know. But anyway, 
How did Moses come to such sophisticated, accurate, advanced information? By obedience to God. By listening to what God said. If we obeyed God's word when it comes to sex, when it comes to diet, when it comes to worry and anxiety, when it comes to work and labor, we would live much healthier lives. And you know where that needs to start? It needs to start in the home. Our kids need to learn, and we'll get into this next week, but our kids need to learn who they are, that God gave them a body, and the body is a tool. The body's not a toy. It's not in charge. It's the servant, not the master. And when it becomes the master, we get sick. We're to live from the inside out. We're, the body is just a temple for the Holy Spirit. It's just the house in which we live. We are not a body that has a soul. We are a soul that has a body. And those are important distinctions that God gave us. And so we're going to get into that more next week.